again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Hosted by myself, the great Brian Last, and my very good friend, Mike Mills from the Booking the Territory podcast, where we look week by week at Mid-South Wrestling Television. This episode is February 20th, 1982. Mike, you ready for another week of Mid-South Wrestling action? I'm ready. I'm excited. Bill Watts is back in the saddle. I'm sure we've got some good Bill Watts uh, sound bites ready to go. So, yeah, man, let's do this thing. There's some good Watts stuff there, and yes, he is back, and yes, that makes a noticeable difference from the program we talked about last week on the show, where there was no Bill Watts, and we had almost no sound bites and ran out of things to talk about on the show, but this week, <laughs> the Cowboy is back, and uh, why don't we just kick it off right away with what he has to say at the very top of the show, right after Boyd tells us a little bit about what we're going to see, and in this case, here on Mid-South Wrestling this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and matchmaker Grizzly Smith with another great lineup, including outstanding tagging team action, the Louisiana Heavyweight Champion, the Junkyard Dog, teaming up with Mississippi State Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Olympia, against the rugged duo of the Mass Grappler and Bruiser Bob Sweet Ann. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, is back, and he'll be in the ring against the Polish Prince, Ed Wyskowski. North American champion Ted DiBiase is here. Offen Sika, the Samoan Warriors, the Mid-South Tag Team title holders. Indeed, a great program of champions, and one of the all-time greats is our guest commentator, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, thank you, Boyd Pierce. A lot's been happening. Two weeks ago, in an unusual move, a surprise move, Skandar Akbar took over the unhappy Samoans. Ernie Ladd, in an altercation, was injured. He was operated on the in Columbus, Georgia, at the orthopedic center there. We don't know yet the extent of the damage to his knees. Mike George received a injury to the low back area, and he's still out of wrestling. So there's been a lot of injuries, a lot of changes, and a lot of excitement. Like you said, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes here today. Also, the Junkyard Dog, the Louisiana champion, and the best of Mississippi, Mr. Olympia, will combine against a tough team of the Grappler, a former North American champion, and Bruiser Bob Sweetan, a former Brass Knucks champion. So without any more, let's get right to the action in the ring. Here's the introduction and Reeser bout. Well, we'll stop it before Reeser does his introduction, but, you know, here they are. The first thing they're doing on the show is getting over the severity of the injury to Ernie Ladd in the sense that they don't know. There's, there's no update beyond the fact that he had a surgical procedure done in Columbus, Georgia. And, of course, they also bring up Mike George, who just recently was a member of the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions with Junkyard Dog. He's also injured. So, although they didn't just say, well, the Samoans, they're big and bad, and they injured everyone, they're putting over right away that there are real injuries happening here. And because of that, there are guys who have been regulars on the program who are not going to be there anymore. Yeah, and I, I think that like the Ernie Ladd one to me is the one that sticks with me the most from this time period because I always, you know, I mean, he was Ernie Ladd. I, to me, he was he was a legend at this point. I mean, he was he's the big cat. So him being out, and we're still hearing from Watts right now. You know, he it, he's got a serious injury. You know, we, we don't know what's going on with that yet, but uh, you know, we're we're gonna figure this out. I, this is just, you know, it's territory wrestling at its finest. You, you, these stories take a while to play out, and, and I love it. Uh, it's just, it's a good thing to, you know, they're, they're teasing us, I guess, is the, is the way to say it, and that's a good thing. They're teasing us, and uh, the tease will continue because the opening match this week is Bill Ash, who we've seen the last several weeks on the show, and they point out here during the commentary, we have not seen him lose because usually he's in the expiration to time match. <laughs> 
And we don't know what happens, quite frankly. But he's going against Coco Samoa, who's returning, who hadn't been there for a while. And uh, it's a it's a good opening match, I guess. It's always weird when you see, Mike, two guys and neither one of them has knee pads on. Yeah, for the life of me, as somebody who's uh, rolled around in a wrestling ring a time or two, I, I, don't, I don't know how these guys do it with no knee pads, man. That canvas, it, it mean it'll shred you. It will shred your knees up if you're if you're doing anything. I mean, I don't understand it, but hey, more power to them. It was the '80s. Guys were tougher, I guess. I don't know, especially your uh, Coco Samoa. The uh, what did Bill Watts call him? The uh, they, they come from a tribal like ancestry. I think we've, I think we might even have a soundbite of it, but uh, either coming up or later on. So these guys are tough, man. They're out there with no knee pads on, getting it on, and it's a fight. Yeah, and we'll play that audio from Watts in a second. But Coco Samoa, you know, I hadn't watched him in a while, and it really is amazing how. If you look at just 1981, from the outfits to the hair, he really is like a bootleg Jimmy Snuka. And, you know, I know they're two <laughs> different guys with two different careers, but he just looks like a smushed-in version of Jimmy Snuka. A little shorter, a little wider, but he looks almost identical to him otherwise. Right. Not as ripped, I guess, when Snuka was at his, you know, height of uh, ripness. But he definitely, I mean, he he's just short version of him. I mean, you put it this way: if you took a if you took a picture of him right here, and you were far enough away, and you just kind of looked and looked away real quick, you, you would you may confuse yourself if you didn't know you were looking at Coco Samoa in Mid South Wrestling. Yeah, when they called C.V. Afi to fill in for Jimmy Snuka as the fake Superfly for the WWF in 1986, they should have called Coco Samoa. He's probably sitting by his phone. What about me? I've been doing this for a while. But he would have, I mean, he could have passed for it. I mean, now nah, those fans are going to shit on anyone who is going to be coming out as the <laughs> super fly. But as you said, Watts has some interesting things to say in this match. They just put over at the top of the show, the Samoan warriors and the injuries that they've caused to Ernie Ladd and Mike George. Well, here's Coco Samoa. Obviously the name Samoa is in his name as well. So you would think what's the similarities and what are the differences between Coco Samoa and the Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika. And here's Bill Watts explaining that. I'm going to let this run a little long, Mike, because as Bill Watts is wont to do, he's going to go from talking about the Samoans of Coco Samoa to just his general thoughts about whoever he wants to talk about on the show, including his family's trip to Mardi Gras and how the commissioner of the Louisiana State Athletic Commission's son is doing currently. So let's go to this right now. Coco Samoa, fantastic athlete. He said from America, Samoa. You know, it's a fine line that separates the actions and abilities of these athletes. So you got the offensika, the, the rough, tough Samoans. I don't want you to think that Coco Samoa is not any rougher or tougher. He definitely is. He just doesn't run around with a, with a brother all the time and uh, apparently has a little happier outlook on life. But, I, but Samoans are warrior, and they're from a warlike dynasty and, and tribal ancestry, and they all have a lot of courage and, and a lot of... Uh, pride in the fact that they will battle at any time. It was a lot of fun. I just got back from uh, New Orleans, the Mardi Gras. If you've never been to Mardi Gras time in the Crescent City, it's something to see. And everybody thinks by Mardi Gras, it's, it's a lot of revelry, which it is, and a lot of partying, which it is. But also, it's a tremendous event for the children. I've, I always enjoy taking my children down and uh, Pepe Bruno, who is uh, in, in the Endymion Parade group, is always a wonderful host and gets our. We, we always know where to be and to see the best of the parades. And the thing I think that makes it so exciting is that the parades are so orientated for participation by the people watching. And 
And I know my kids got a great kick out of it, and uh, this is the second time we've been, and I guess it's going to become an annual affair for us. We really enjoyed it. Also, Lindsey Williams' son, uh, Lindsey was very proud of the chairman of the state of Louisiana Athletic Commission. Son took second state uh, at the uh, amateur wrestling at high school, and he's a junior. He's not got another year, so uh, and the man that uh, defeated him, uh, I understand, was the outstanding wrestler in the state tournament. So uh, I need to say Lindsey Williams is a proud parent. Well, there you go. The head of the Louisiana State Athletic Commission will be happy that his son got put over on Mid-South Wrestling during the opening match. I'm sure a very smart political move from Bill Watts to mention out there at the top. But, Mike, before we talk about anything else, I have to ask you, is Mardi Gras, in fact, a good event for kids? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say yes, because I, I cherish my years of going to Mardi Gras and not just Mardi Gras Day, Fat Tuesday, but the two weeks leading up to it. I mean, each of those weekends was, I mean, you, my mom and, and I mean, I'd go with my cousins and stuff. We go to, you know, Saturday, Sunday parade. We generally didn't go during the week because of school, but yeah, you'd go to the Saturday and Sunday parades leading up and it was a lot of fun, especially the weekend before. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're there on Saturday, man. And it's an all day event where you, you, you camp, not camp out, but you, you know, stake your ground and you watch the morning ones, depending on which, which parades you're going to. I won't start naming names of parades because I'll confuse people. Watts actually called one Endymion, uh, that's the Saturday before Mardi Gras, and that's one of the larger parades that he was talking about when he said Endymion. Uh, but yeah, you go to these parades, and you spend the day out there, and you, it's it's fun as a kid. Um, you know, you you hear about all the I guess shenanigans in Mardi Gras. That's pretty much like Bourbon Street area where <laughs> you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, I don't I don't even want to say it. I, I'm trying to keep it clean, but you'll you you'll, you'll see some. You can say breast, and that's fine. Yeah. And no one's offended, and we all love them. <laughs> I guess the question is, how old were you the first time you saw breasts during Mardi Gras? Oh, probably single digits, seven, eight. All right. And that answers our question. If Mardi Gras is good for kids, I guess (laughs) we took the long way to get there. But uh, we found out from Playboy Mike Mills about the uh, nudity that is on display for the children of the of America. You got to ask me outright. I'm trying to be uh, clean (laughs) on this family edition of our program. This is not the normal BTT show where I just would have came up out front and said, man, we see some bleep and bleep. I mean, I saw it from the time I was seven or eight. But no, you you will see it, especially in the quarter, especially on bourbon. It's gotten a lot cleaner nowadays. It's just like everything, it seems. And, you know, that would probably offend someone and they'd be ready to sue if they saw a pair of breasts on bourbon. But those are fun days, man. Uh, yes, I was about seven or eight probably the first time I saw a pair. Well, Not on TV. Maybe, yes, maybe I need to make a trip to down there for one of the, <laughs> for Mardi Gras one of these years. But uh, back to the match, uh, you know, Watts talked about everything he wanted to talk about there. But there is a little bit more, Mike, just a few seconds here of Watts. Going back to this topic of the difference between the Samoan factions, although it's not really a faction, it's Coco Samoa as a standalone and the Samoan warriors under the auspices of General Skandar Akbar. So let's just listen to this uh, for a few seconds here. Well, you know, in Samoa, wrestling is not a uh, sport they take up at a young age as far as a technique sport. It's just that, like I say, that their ancestry is a, is a warlike tribal situation where they, they fight and, and they scuffle, and they, it, that's their type of technique where they... They just go all out, so it's almost like a war out there with Samoa. So you heard it from Bill Watts. All Samoans are 
constantly in a state of war because that's what they're used to. <laughs> oh, man, you got to love it back then because there's no Google to Google this stuff. It's just taking Watson's word for it. These Samoans and their tribal-like situation. That, that, that was the word that killed me when he said that. Uh, the, the warlike tribal situation. What, Watts? What are you talking about? Situation. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> Bill on commentary. He's, uh, he's Bill Watts, man. He's the cowboy. We didn't get any of that last week. That's for darn sure. Well, one thing that does come up during commentary here uh, is mention of the one-man gang, not necessarily by name. Bill Watts mentions that Skandar Akbar had this big man, this one-man gang, who they still haven't revealed who he is, but by calling him the one-man gang, they're actually <laughs> somewhat saying it. I guess maybe they hadn't decided for sure on the nickname one-man gang that had been a nickname for Ron Garvin, who Crusher Broomfield, who's now the one-man gang, who became Akeem. Uh, they worked together in ICW, so he knew of Hands of Stone, Ron Garvin, before he was Hands of Stone. He was the one-man gang, Ronnie Garvin, and here he is. And Akbar kind of said one-man gang, but he didn't say gang. I forget the word he said last week, but um, this week, Watts kind of just says it, and we'll see how it sticks in the weeks to come. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you a question about that. I had always heard, and I didn't remember it back then, uh, someone had said... Or somewhere I read that they thought that Jr. actually gave him that name, but if if you as you watch it back, Jr. is definitely not the first person to call the gang one man gang. So ha- had you heard that as well and just didn't remember it? I I seem to recall that somewhere, somewhere uh, just reading it somewhere. Oh, it was Jr. that named him the one man gang. I was like, nah, no, that's not really true when you go back and watch these in chronological order. I had not heard that. I'm not saying it's okay. true or not true, but I, I had not heard that. Um, I, I can tell everyone out there, if you want to hear more from the one man gang, I know we did a really great interview with you a while back on booking the territory, Mike. And I believe those clips are on YouTube now so that the listeners can go and check that out. But you can hear more from one man gang. I don't know if that was specifically discussed during that interview, but, uh, I know that really is a good interview that you did with them. So, uh, everyone should check that out. Thank you. Yeah, we didn't talk. I, I don't want to think. I don't think we'd mention that at that time. But yeah, it's about there's clips on YouTube. If you please check it out. And also it's on the our normal feed, uh, tinyurl.com slash BTT pod, wherever you get your podcast from booking the territory, you can get the whole actual three hours that we spent with him. So good stuff there. But uh, uh, proceed, Brian. I didn't mean to mean to get a plug in there just yet. Yeah, no, it's all right. I kind of led you into it, but um, that's really it. Coco Samoa, like I said, returning. He had been in Mid-South earlier in 1981, and he wins with a superfly splash of sorts off the second rope because, of course, top rope flying is restricted in Mid-South wrestling. You cannot come off the top rope. But the second rope one gets a reaction from those fans. Uh, he definitely shows a lot of fire. It's almost, you would think that almost he got a little pissed off as the match went on because he really starts firing up against Bill Ash in the later part of the match. But that's it. Uh, Bill Ash loses via splash. Jack Howe is the referee. And from there, Mike, we go on to an interview with Skandar Akbar conducted by Mr. Personality, Reeser Bowden. <laughs> And you have nothing to say about that, and I don't blame you. Let's listen to it. We'll talk about it on the other side. <laughs> well, Boyd, Reeser Bowden had a pre-taped conversation with the elusive Skandar Akbar trying to pin him down as to his intent and his plans, and I am sure as to what his feelings were about Ernie Ladd and Mike George, two men that he may have injured, injured, ended excuse me, ended their career, the future of the Samoans, and also the direction he plans to take that team, and about that 455-pound mystery. Let's listen to that now. Ladies and gentlemen, General Skandor Act. It can't be said now. Don't cross the general. 
Ernie Ladd, you took the Iron Sheik from me, and in return, I took wrestling from you. And you, Mike George, I've never liked you. You're a backstabbing traitor. Let it be known now that I intend to make a clean sweep in the Mid-South area. First, Mr. Olympia, Mississippi champion, Ted Debussy, the North American champion. And last but not least, that mangy junkyard dog, that flea-bitten dog, that Louisiana title is just a matter of time. And oh, yes, there's another cancer on the horizon. And I'm talking about the American nightmare, Dusty Rhodes. And that's a cancer virus I intend to kill before it spreads in the Mid-South. So let it be known that I didn't warn you. If you're listening, beware, because it's the general's time. 1982 is career-ending time in the Mid-South, and the general has got it all. And you heard it here, General Skandor Akbar. The old General Skandor Akbar had a lot of differential there. He kept talking, but he didn't fill us in anything really concrete we could dig our teeth in and answer a lot of questions that we've asked him. But I know in his mind he has something up his sleeve. Right now, he's in the ring with his army. Let's go now for the next match. Tag team action and research out. I get such a kick out of the butchering of Ted DiBiase's name from everyone, from every angle in Mid-South. Mid-South is probably more responsible for butchering wrestlers' names than any other promotion. Because eventually Jim Duggan becomes Jim Dugan. Ted DiBiase is called Ted Debussy. Regularly by Skandar Akbar. Somehow that's like the major insult. Like, I'll show him. I'll call him Debussy. And then <laughs> Watts at random times will just call him. And here's DBS. He'll just leave off the E. He'll just go Ted DBS in the ring. So there are multiple pronunciations of various wrestlers in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, I, it's funny. That whole Debussy thing was like the biggest funniest thing on the schoolyard as a kid we, like, we would be like he's calling him Debussy Debussy's not that hard to say and then you're right Watts starts with the Debussy I think later on down the line maybe as we get further into 82 and then it, oh, everybody knows Watts he, 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 he cannot say Jim Duggan it's Jim Duggan you know it's, it's always this is uh this was this was I think you may be right about Mid-South being the the promotion where we just butcher names and it's, it's, it's the, it's the head man who does it and next to Akbar with the Debussy part. But yeah, I mean, watch with DBS and Dugan, but Akbar Debussy, I swear it never gets old. I love it. Every time I hear it, it's like the ultimate insult. I, I don't know if Akbar planned that out and it's just, or it just happened organically. He, you know, was in the middle of saying his name the first time and it was like the, Busey and it just came out that way and he stuck with it but it was always like the rib that we would always have fun with on the schoolyard we'd talk about it y'all hear Akbar call DiBiase Debussy again ha <laughs> you know our kids are we laugh at everything and then uh Akbar killed me I thought that was ironic when he, he called Dusty Rhodes the American Nightmare when you think of uh what Cody's going by nowadays uh just uh that was just something at random that made me raise my eyebrow and I always love Akbar calling JYD that mangy flight flea bitten junkyard dog i sound like ernie lad actually but uh good stuff there man good old akbar well in just a few weeks and this will be a central theme for a large part of 1982 skandar akbar quickly established himself as the lead heel manager in mid-south he got the samoans turned on ernie lad introduced the one-man gang as his bodyguard slash enforcer we don't exactly know yet he has not been back on tv yet 
And of course, he does this promo calling out every top babyface, Olympia, DiBiase, the dog, and yes, Dusty Rhodes, who we'll see later on in the show. And as we remember from the beginning of 1982, signed a booking agreement with Mid-South Wrestling under the idea that he would be regularly on TV more often. So Akbar really kind of being cemented in that role as the lead heel character, the one that all the top heels, or at least the Samoans for now, but he's calling everyone else out. And you'll see how this plays out. He's definitely trying to be established in that role, the lead heel manager in Mid-South. Yeah, and I mean, you think back to it. He, uh, last week or week before, when he said, hey, you guys, they stole the Iron Sheik from me. The way they weave that into, you know, his his one guy was stolen and now all of a sudden he's building this, you know, army and he's got this this whole faction that's behind him. It it just really made sense. You know, it it was just good stuff for his time. I mean, still good stuff. I mean, it holds up now. From that, they go to the ring, a tag match, the champions, the Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika versus Brian Blair and Frank Monty. And the big news, I guess, to start is Monty is not wearing his brown jacket. He appears for this television taping to have evolved slightly. He's wearing a white (laughs) pullover jacket sweater kind of thing. That's nice to see. And I have to say, because I've been somewhat critical of him, I think Brian Blair does a really good job in this match. I actually think this is a really good match on the show. Brian Blair throws some good drop kicks, keeps the action moving. The fans seem into it. You know, at first, they don't think anyone has a chance, but it seems like they, they do start getting into it. A really good little match that ends with a Samoan drop on Frank Monty, and it's it's like a sloppy Samoan drop. They pick him up in it. I don't even know how to describe it. And as they go back, it's almost like he puts himself in an F5. Like, Sika just throws yeah. himself back, but Monty, like, spins completely around. Yeah, you wonder if it was uh, on Monty that it uh, – it's just one of those things. Uh, uh, good match, though. I mean, it, non-title, which was, again, just so weird. Uh, I really don't recall this many non-title matches from when I was a kid. Like, I I mean, obviously they happen as we watch them, but I don't remember them. Because, and it's – you know, I have, to, I have to say that because I would often be critical of WWE whenever they would do all these non-title matches whenever I was watching Raw and SmackDown. I'm like, come on with the non-title stuff. Um, the, the, the difference is here uh, versus WWE oftentimes is – you find that that would mean that was like a signal that the champ was going to lose whenever it was non-title. Uh, whereas in in Mid-South, we've seen non-title a few times in uh, last month, and the champ always wins at least. So uh, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you're correct. Good match. Uh, Blair looks good. Monty looks good. Uh, Monty's a little bit more colorful, not uh, looking as bland with his brown on. Uh you know, uh, Watts does talk about Ladd and, and Akbar and what Akbar did to Ladd during the match. And, you know, Watts is they're talking about his knee a little bit. So he's still plugging that in. And then also about Mike George being injured. And I think Watts uses the term or says uh, JYD is on his own now. So kind of uh, just putting that out there that the J- that Junkyard Dog is no longer going to be a tag team. And he's going to be doing his own thing. Uh, just a little small thing there that they said from Watts. Rather small because he's in a tag team match later on the show. And they announce he'll be in one again next week. So uh, it's a very yeah. small thing. But, you know, you bring up a really good point, the non-title thing. The WWF, if you watched that growing up, you were trained that if there was a non-title match on TV, that meant that the person who wasn't the champion was going to win. And it would set up the title match. It was always that way. But in Mid-South, they didn't do that. And that's the smarter way to do it because... If the fans don't always expect that, when it finally happens, it has impact. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, look, I, I don't watch the current product anymore. And you, I know you're talking about WWF from the 80s, but I, from about 2014 through 16, when I, I was kind of watching on a regular basis, like Monday nights and sometimes Thursdays on SmackDown, this before even SmackDown was live, it, it was like a smoke signal. This is a non-title match. Well, okay, so we know. I mean, one Monday night, I sat there and watched. They pinned three champions on one show. Like, it's just like, it's a signal. Okay, non-title, well, we know such and such is losing tonight. It's just, it just was really dumb. So I'm glad at least, you know, I don't remember as many non-title, but I'm glad with these non-titles, like you said, the champion wins, which is is a good thing. I mean, they're the champ for a reason. Just because it's non-title doesn't mean you book them to lose. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine losing to Brian Blair and Frank Monty here, but uh, moving on from there, our next match is the North American champion, Ted DiBiase. Versus the first of the hacksaws we're going to visit here on Mid-South Wrestling in the episodes to come. Larry Higgins, who many people may remember as Hacksaw Higgins, or many people may not remember him at all. But uh, it's a uh, match here. Jack Howe is the referee. And Mike, I know we have a little bit of audio. Bill Watts talks about a returning former North American champion we'll be seeing later on in the show. And he'll be a big part of the promotion going forward. And also a little bit of news about the upcoming Superdome show. This is how it was announced on the main body of the show, not in the local promos that you would see in New Orleans, but for everyone who's watching Mid-South Wrestling, we're going to talk more about that Mid-South Network later on in the show. But this is the first announcement of the upcoming Superdome Spectacular. Let's go to this audio now. DBS has a tough match here on Mid-South Wrestling next week. Boyd, he's got the man that defeated him for the North American title, the grappler. You recall that he injured the grappler's leg in Monroe, Louisiana, and when the grappler came back, that's when he came with the orthopedic boot that became so controversial. But DiBiase, was the, that's who he lost the North American title to, was the grappler. And next week, right here on Mid-South Wrestling, Grizzly Smith has booked a rematch, but now DiBiase is the champion and grappler the contender. It'll be for the North American title. The Superdome. May the 1st, the next Superdome, the big extravaganza. People are already making reservations and getting tickets now. They know one thing, when the Superdome comes about, it's a night to remember in the annals of wrestling. Clean break by DiBiase, call for by referee Jack Howe. Like next week, Bill, you said the North American title will be on the line right here on television as our new viewers that have joined us in different areas and different states will become accustomed. That is the practice of matchmaker Grizzly Smith and officials of Mid-South Wrestling. Whenever possible, they'll have a title match right on television. That's very unusual in wonderful world of television as far as wrestling is concerned. Arm smash. DiBiase retaliates. He caught him right on the side of the jaw and dropped him. DiBiase was a football star at West Texas State, a school that's turned out more professional athletes practically than any other school, especially a school of its size. DiBiase is out there and he's bearing down. That's right. Mid-South Wrestling has grown so much due to its popularity. It's now in all the Spanish-speaking stations on the West Coast. Los Angeles has now joined the Mid-South Network is Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's expanding and it's brought about by the increased popularity and the great athletes that you see here and you the fans at home. There's DiBiase with his patented figure four leg lock. 
And that's pretty much the match. DiBiase beats Larry Higgins with his patented figure four leg lock. I should also note the usual crew are in the front row, the weird looking, I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but the old lady who looks really old is sitting in the center. The guy in the white shirt with the cowboy hat who sometimes smokes a cigarette is sitting there. There are other old women who made the front row this week. And of course, the teenage girls on the right side of the screen. It's always the same crew. Uh, some interesting stuff from Watts and Boyd, though. Specifically, I'm fascinated with the idea of the growing Mid-South Wrestling Network. Of course, they add now the Leroy McGurk Towns in Oklahoma and in Arkansas. And they're talking about what's on the West Coast. They're on Spanish television. They're in San Diego. They're in Los Angeles. So it's something I'm really interested in, just the way they address their growing network on TV. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, you know, look, we're this is 2017, but you think back to 1982. God, man, that's... I mean, I didn't think about this as a kid, but that's a big deal. You know, I mean, to have networks way out on the West Coast carrying your programming, I, you know, I mean, back then when it was much harder, I mean, because you had to physically deliver tapes to the to the to your networks or to your stations, man, it, that's that's impressive. I mean, to all of, I just I mean, I think back to this because this is I mean, cable television obviously is you have people with cable in 82, but it's still relatively new. Uh, just uh, it's pretty impressive, man, from, you know, Watson. And I, I don't blame him bragging on it at this point, too. Uh, you know, let your audience know, hey, we're kind of a big deal. We're growing. We we we, we got we're out in this market and that market. I mean, just really good stuff from Watts right there. Yeah, I need to ask around. I'll ask Kurt Brown and a few other people what they remember about Mid-South being on TV in 1982 in California on Spanish television. You know, that's how wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium got seen in so many places like in New York was it was on Spanish international television. So it was syndicated from, you know, the mid-70s on, from around the time they lost their English-language television station, they moved everything to the Spanish station, and that's where everyone saw Olympic Auditorium Wrestling. So I got to do a little bit of research into what Watts exactly was doing, and I'll ask around about that. But like I said, DiBiase defeats Larry Higgins with the figure four. Any notes or thoughts about this match, Mike? Uh, yes, we are going to see a match with Higgins in the next few weeks or so where Higgins is wrestling Orndorff. And I'll tell you, a, I'll tell you a little bit about the story now, uh, only because I, I uh, one man gang uh, posted this on his Facebook page. And I, I asked him about it at one point, but we weren't recording when I did. Uh, evidently, uh, you'll see it when we get there, but uh, Higgins like no sold Orndorff's finisher. And uh, Orndorff got like really mad at him. And in the back from what uh, gang said, uh, Higgins, uh, it didn't go too well for Higgins after the fact, once they got out the ring uh, from him, no selling Orndorff's finisher. And the reason I'm bringing that up here is because if you notice when DiBiase puts Higgins in this figure four, he kind of just lays on his back at first. He, he just doesn't <laughs> sell it. It's like, dude, Ted DiBiase has you in a figure four. You should be screaming like somebody is filleting you in the gut with a fishing knife. Uh, I, just my take. I, did you notice that? I mean, it maybe it's because I, that story's ringing in my mind from what Gang said about Higgins no selling Orndorff that I'm that I'm thinking this, but I, that was what immediately came to my mind when Higgins is in that uh, figure four. I didn't notice it. I'm going to go back and watch it, but. I'm guessing that means it was the same finish because at the time, even though Orndorff used the pile driver, this is when he was using the figure four because DiBiase used the figure four. So I'm guessing it was again the figure four that was the issue. 
We're going to see it in a few weeks, but I think it may have even been some kind of power slam or something. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen this, but I know I've heard the story uh, from Gang, and he even posted it on his Facebook page a while back. So I'm going to look. I can't wait till we get to it, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. He takes the move. I don't think it was a figure four, but I could be wrong. He takes the move. And he gets the he gets the three count, but then he immediately pops up. It's like the guy just pops up. And Orndorf, when the guy pops up, he like like kicks him or knees him in the head or something. Like you stupid, you know sob. What are you doing? And then from uh, the story, gang said uh, once they got to the back, it didn't work out too well for Mister Higgins. It didn't work out for too many people against Paul Orndorff. Yeah, the story. he's a pretty <laughs> legendary. Uh, but that's that match. The next match on the show, Mike, is Bob Roop versus Rick Ferreira with Alfred Neely as the referee. And I don't really have too many notes about this match. It's just a match. (laughs) But I got some. We'll go to what you have to say in a second here. I do have, going back to this previous topic of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network, I have more from Bill Watts about his excitement returning to Tulsa and, of course, this growing network. Let's listen to this audio right now. It's going to be exciting for wrestling back in Tulsa. My hometown, we've been out of that market for some time, and now Mid-South is back in Tulsa. KJRH Channel 2 Television. Everybody anticipating and looking forward to coming to the Tulsa Assembly Center on May the 3rd. I know all the young kids' tournaments I went to with my two younger sons, Eric, who wrestled in the junior high division, and Micah, who was in the 12 and under, and... My older son, Joel, even at his swim meets, uh, they all ask, Cowboy, one of the top stars, the names that we're watching right now, when are they going to come back to Tulsa? Well, it's on the way. San Diego building and growing, a tremendous group of fans out there, and now the Los Angeles area, the Spanish-speaking networks, it's exciting. 1982 could be one of the most interesting years ever. still all the fine stations on the Mid-South, Louisiana, Mississippi Network, Shreveport, El Dorado, Jackson, Greenwood, Biloxi, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Lake Charles, Alexandria. So there it is, the growing Mid-South Network. And another interesting thing is Here's Tulsa. I mean, that's Watts' hometown. That's that's a town that you talk to Jim Cornette or anyone who worked there in 84 and around that time, they'll tell you Tulsa was just wild because the people were crazy for Mid-South and especially for Bill Watts. And they're talking about the next show, which is May 3rd, two days after the next Superdome show. And it's it shows you one of Bill Watts' philosophies. Bill Watts got back on TV in Tulsa and he didn't rush back in. He's making the fans there wait three months before he brings them a show. They got back on TV the beginning of February, May 3rd is the first show that they'll get. That's pretty darn awesome if you think about it, because what he did was he let the TV build. He he let the anticipation build. The people are seeing it. You know, you got to figure the first time the TV starts back there, you know, you're like, oh, they're back. And then, you know, you see another week and another week. And it's like, you know, you just tell the story. So they there's weeks on end. They're starting to see and seeing the, the people who are in the promotion. And I mean, some people obviously they knew of, but others they may not have. And you build that audience back and then you don't just rush into it. You take a little while and then you show up and then, you know, people go nuts. And I can remember seeing, I guess, videos from from shows there that they would air on Mid-South TV, like, uh, you know, finishes and whatnot. Uh, and 
my God, man, the crowds there were, they were tremendous. It just like, they would go nuts, man. When, you know, things were going their way or even when things weren't, you know, when, when, when the heels would get the upper hand, just good stuff. And, you know, you can't blame Watts here. He's, he's making, I don't blame him. I'd say he's bragging about all his TV stations, but or where where his product is. But I mean, you can't blame him, man. He's 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 selling his product to his audience too, while he's giving commentary on a match. Yeah, I can't blame him for that. I mean, that's like the equivalent of you and I saying our show's available on iTunes, even though most of the people who listen to it download it from iTunes. I mean, it's the same principle. It's just he's saying where it is, and look, he's also proud. He breaks off from Leroy McGurk and he gets Louisiana, and he gets Mississippi, and quite frankly. No one thought <laughs> that territory was ever going to do anything significant. And he found the junkyard dog and he built a great territory around that through smart booking, good TV, episodic TV, really good wrestlers who worked hard. DiBiase, everyone there worked hard. Yeah, even Ed Wiskowski. I was about to put him down, but everyone there worked really hard. And Bill Watts now, here he is a couple of years after Mid-South Wrestling or three years after Mid-South Wrestling goes off on its own and he splits from Leroy McGurk. And now he's swallowing up Oklahoma, Arkansas, and he's got TV on the West Coast. He's got to feel good. And you know what? He deserves to. And he's about to make the deal with Houston. So a lot of exciting things happening for Mid-South right around this time. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, I mean, yeah, good stuff there. He's, I don't, I'm, like, like I just said, I don't blame him. Uh, did we give the results that Rupe hits uh, Rick Ferrara with the shoulder breaker and gets the win? Uh, we didn't, but that's exactly what happens. <laughs> uh, any notes about this exciting Bob Rupe Rick Ferrara match? Not really. I mean, the, the biggest thing there was him talking about the stations and and that. Well. We'll move on from there because you and I have nothing. Uh, the next match is a really interesting one. It's the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, who has, you know, from his debut, quickly become popular. They've aligned him with the dog. That's a good move to get him over. And they're going up against the Grappler, who we heard about earlier with his loaded boot, the returning Grappler, former North American champion, and Bruiser Bob Sweetan, one of the great dirtbags in the history of the wrestling business, a complete lowlife. But here he is, years before we knew about his um, deviant-like behavior former Brass Knucks champion, and this match is a pretty fun match, and the fans are really into it, and it's one of those matches, it's a tag match that you protect the dog, Mike, but the dog really shows some great fire. There's a couple of spots in here, he starts throwing punches, and the fans are reacting to everything the dog is doing. Yeah, man, I mean, this is another example of JYD just being over. I mean, here you are in this uh, small building. You know, you don't have a huge crowd, but, I mean, you got enough people there. They're going nuts, and not only the dog, but you know, I know you've interviewed the grappler, Lyndon, and man, that's a guy who you ever want to see a heck of a wrestler. And most people listening to this will know who he is and, and he gets his just due from our audience. But I think there are others out there who just, you know, it's just been a long time since he was wrestling that just may not be able to appreciate this guy. Guys like you and I do. It's it's maybe the younger generation I'm talking to. The, the, the grappler, Lynn Denton, is such a great wrestler, bumper, performer. He's so darn smooth and good. And it's just this was a this. I mean, JYD and Mr. Olympia are, are, are great. Don't get me wrong. But watching the grappler w- against these two guys, you know, with Sweet Tan here. It's like, man, this is a treat, man, for free TV. It's just, you know, 
they just they're out there. I mean, it's four guys. They aren't flipping. They aren't diving. But I'll be a son of a gun if the crowd at the Irish McNeil Boys Club is not into it, fired up, enjoying it, and at the at at the at the you know apex of it all is Lynn Denton really putting over JYD and Mr. Olympia just with his. I mean, he's a, just a heck of a bumper man. This guy is. I say he's underrated, but I say that because I know uh, I know a lot of people in the younger generation who don't rate him appropriately. But I'm going to stop rambling from here and let you give your thoughts on this. That's how excited I was by watching the grappler here. Well, there's almost no footage of the grappler's original run in Mid-South because that's before most of the footage is available. And then we have footage of his return here. And from there, you know, I think one of the problems that causes people to not to properly evaluate Len Denton is – he was in Memphis, you know, with Tony Anthony as the Grapplers. They became the Grapplers, I believe, originally in Mid-South. And then, you know, he goes to Kansas City, which is really something that, you know, you don't hear too many people talking about great Kansas City wrestling. But he was the booker in Kansas City for a while. He did really good in Portland. He, of course, was in the Dirty White Boys tag team. But I yep. feel like the Grapp, you know, he went to world class, um, you know, after uh, the tag team broke up. But I feel like not enough people realize just how good the grappler was. And that first run in Mid-South was pretty significant. And he never really got to that level again. And we talked about that when he was on the Super Podcast. But Len Denton is a smart guy. And, you know, he's one of these guys who grew up a fan. And I always think that those guys, if they have a brain on their head, know how to get in the ring and make something look good. Bobby Fulton, Jim Cornette, Len Denton, that kind of guy. The guy who really wanted to do it because they loved it. And, you know, it shows, it shows he knows what he's doing in the ring. And Watts put the mask on him for a reason. He said, you know how to wrestle. You're the grappler now. And he's great in this role. And I'm just such a mark for the loaded boot gimmick. Yeah, me too. I love the loaded, but I wish someone today did the loaded boot. I wish someone today wore a mask that wasn't a luchador. I mean, there's a lot of things in this match I wish could be replicated now. But why don't we go to the finish of this match and we'll discuss it on the other side. Mr. Olympia, Blair Sweet 10 coming in there. Referee, that's, well, referee can't stop one without stopping them all. JYD stepped right in. He's gotten rid of Sweet Town. Now the referee putting the dog out. He's illegal. And Mr. Olympia's got the sleeper. Sweet 10, while the referee's back's turned, fired that illegal karate thrust right into the throat of uh, Mr. Olympia. Mr. Olympia's in a lot of trouble. Grappler tagging out. Sweet Dan in for the cootie grab, and he misses. Now he's in the sleeper. But he quickly, before it can cut off that strength to his brain, flying mare by the mask, going for that loaded boot. But Mr. Olympia put on the brakes and Sweet Dan caught the loaded boot in the gut. Mr. Olympia made the tag, JYD in, headbutt. Sweet Dan coming, JYD caught him up. There's over 300 pounds. You see the ring give with that thump. One, two, three, boy, Chris. One, two, three, and how do you like your action? Rough and rugged, fast and furious, and the winners, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. We'll be right back after this important message from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Man, if the JYD had just stayed in shape. I mean, you see something like this where he easily gives the thump to Bob Sweetan, who's a big guy. I mean, he's a big guy. And it just makes the dog look so impressive because he's so slim and he's so cut at this time. And, you know, during the match, Watts says, he, what did he say? He's like, the dog is like 6'3 and maybe 265 pounds or something. And you look yeah. at him and he's so cut, you wouldn't think he was that big. I know we talked about this last week, but he's so impressive here. The fans are so into it. And you hear that pop when Bob Sweetan gets run into the loaded boot of Len Denton. They see him load it. You know, you kick the ground, you load it. And then the place just explodes when that happens. And. 
just a really fun match. I mean, just a really good TV tag match. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna have a like good TV match whenever you got JYD because just the excitement level. But I'm telling you, man, you throw in the grappler into this, and it just makes it that much better. It just that guy. I remember listening to his interview with you on the 605, and he like you said it, uh, not to harp on this, but I'm going to. He, he's like just jolly. He's happy. You can tell that he enjoys talk because he's a fan at heart. And he he just enjoys talking about it. And you see that whenever he's wrestling. It's just it's just all there. I mean, he, he literally he had everything that I would want in a pro wrestler uh, down. I mean, he just I, I, it was I mean, he no, he couldn't do flips and dives. He wasn't a freaking uh, he wasn't he wasn't like an acrobat. But, man, he was just so good. And this match, just the crowd. You know, I know people love JYD and seeing that, seeing what they saw at the end. But let me tell you something, man. The grappler, he, he helped get that match over too, and and that's what was fun about this. From here, we move on. The next match: the Polish Prince Ed Wiskowski versus the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Alfred Neely, your referee. Uh, other than the finish of this match, I don't have any notes. Nothing stood out to me, Mike. What about you? Uh, I literally have uh, asked Brian uh, if he loved seeing his <laughs> beloved Ed Wiskowski uh, one more time. <laughs> He's got to be coming up on the end of his run right about it's, now. He's got to yeah. be. And I feel bad because it's like I don't have anything against him. He was good in right. Portland. Colonel yeah. Beers with maybe a few different things may not have been as offensive, but. <laughs> it's just in mid south he's not doing it for me at all and he's just he's so big and lumbering and it's just it's it's not he may be the my least favorite guy i've seen on these shows so far and no, again, it's i and mean i'm not trying yeah. to judge him you know he has other parts of his career that are good but in mid south he's just not doing it for me yeah no i mean it's just it's it's how it is. I mean, that, that was the beauty of the territory system. If, if you think about it, you, you had guys who would be in places and they did nothing for you. And then you see him in another territory and it's like, oh, OK, well, uh, I mean, he's not he's not the next uh, superstar. that's going to be a millionaire. But this guy's got more than what I thought he had when he was in, uh, you know, that territory. So no, it's normal stuff. I mean, that, that that's part of wrestling back then when you, you know, with the territories, but I know I don't have anything here other than Dusty gets the win and the, the, the crowd loved it. And that's that. Well, Dusty wins with the elbow drop, but the elbow drop happens after Dusty's on his back and Wiskowski jumps off the second rope. And he just jumps right into Dusty's knees. Like Dusty doesn't like lift the knees to where Wiskowski's jumping. Wiskowski just jumps right into Dusty's knees and then gets the elbow <laughs> drop and pinned. And uh, yeah, nothing else of any note about this match. So let's move on to the next one. I can't wait to talk about this real quick. Paul Orndorff, who they're calling number one Paul Orndorff. So Paul Jones, get ready for a lawsuit. Number one Paul Orndorff versus Tony Torres. Orndorff wins with the figure four. I'll just give you the finish right now. The referee, Jack Howe. Watts, yeah. it's been a few weeks. It's not over. He brings up once again the Welcher, Katsabulis. Let's listen to this. We'll talk about it on the other side. I want to make mention, uh, I've had a lot of inquiry out of the Jackson, Mississippi area about Welcher Katsabulis, and I haven't heard anything more about him. Uh, seems to have faded in the woodwork. There's also a... 
Katsimoulis in that same area, but a uh, man who ably runs a very fine company called Katsimoulis Tile Company, a well-known figure in that town. He and the Welcher are of no kin. Uh, no, the Katz, that Katsimoulis of Katsimoulis Tile Company, close personal friend of mine and Jack Curtis, he would never do anything like that. He's a fine man. He's got a tremendous family, Weta, his lovely wife, and his two children, and uh, I've enjoyed many wonderful times with him. And uh, I, this other person must be of some distant kin, but there are no, no similarity between the two. Okay, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what the hell is going on? Did this guy complain to Watts that you keep saying this on the air and people are coming into my tile company and giving me problems? Is he actually related to this Katsabulis and Watts is just trying to, like, throw some shade? I don't know what the hell is going on at this point. But uh, it's I just, you it's were... fascinating. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I know someone who's very close to Bill Watts. I'm going to ask him if I could talk to Bill Watts and ask yes. him about the Welcher Katsabulis. <laughs> I was about to say, you and I need to put our heads together and we got to get to Watts and we need to know what the heck is going on because, well, first thing he did that really, really like, I came unglued when I was watching it was when Watts goes, been getting a lot of inquiries about this Katsabulas. <laughs> yeah, who's inquiring? Who? <laughs> right? <laughs> who's asking you, Bill? You know who is? The family of Katsabulas. They're like, can you stop this? I don't know what he did, but we'll pay you back. Just stop mentioning our family name. And by the way, I guess Katsabulas is a last name. Is that what it is? Uh. I, oh, what was the story when we were reading it? Um, was that his name or was it, I? I couldn't remember. I'd have to pull it back up. But because how could there I, be more than one Katsabulis? I've never heard of the name ever before. Several uh, weeks ago, when you and I first started talking about it, and now I, I want to know the origins of Katsabulis and the Katsabulis family. Oh man! So, uh, but watch with the inquiry and making sure there's a differentiation, and and he starts with the Welcher. Hey, at least this time it wasn't uh, Carlos uh, or, or Zapata in the ring. Zapata, he's he gone. waited. He actually, yeah, he's in. He's in. Obviously, uh, he's in world class by this point. I'm uh, certain of that. But uh, he's waiting. He's got Tony Torres in the, Tony Torres in there now. Before he talks about, I've been getting a lot of inquiries about uh, Katsabulas. Right, right. Because he used to use the excuse of, well, this Carlos Zapata looks like this guy, the Welcher Katsabulas. Now there's no excuse. Now it's just like, well, the show's almost over. I got to get my dig in this week at this guy. And I wonder if there was some kind of threat. Like, listen. You owe me this money. If you welch on this, I'm going to say it on the air every single week. I'm going to say your hometown. I'm going to talk about your family. And I'm going to say your name every week. <laughs> I got to wonder what the hell is going on here. It to be. I would love for you to talk to Watts. And what would be great is if Watts would like, see, it's one of those things where they, these guys had so much happen during their careers, they, I mean, there's no way they could recall it all, but I would love for him to have like a, you know, photographic memory on this and be like, Oh yeah, let me tell you all about it. And then go on like this 20 to 30 minute story about Katsabulas <laughs> Welcher. And, and we'd be sitting there like, wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, this is like five weeks now that he keeps bringing Katsabulas up and we hadn't heard it in about two to three weeks, but he's just, he's not gonna let it die. It just just keeps going. No. Now I do know in reading about this that eventually he just shuts up and doesn't say it anymore. Uh, but uh, obviously it's uh, still going now. We're, we're probably six weeks into it. That's right. It's one of the biggest cliffhangers in wrestling history. Next to what did Baby Doll have in that Manila envelope? 
Who the hell is Catsabulus the Welcher? What exactly did he welch on? And <laughs> I, I, I need to find out more information about this. I'll, uh, I'm going to see what I could do. I asked Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette had no idea who Catsabulus was. I was, I was hoping he would go, oh, yeah, Catsabulus. He used to always show up in Jackson, Mississippi. He would always, uh, you know, <laughs> steal our money or something. Yeah. And that's, see, that's actually depressing that Jim didn't know because he, he remembers so much and writes everything down. Ah, that would have been great if he'd have known because he'd, he, he'd tell you a 30 minute story on it. Ugh. But now, depending on what we think may be the truth, he would either say, Yes, I know this Welcher Katsabulus, or, Oh, no, the only Katsabulus I know sold tiles. He was a really nice family man. We don't know. We honestly, I almost think Watts was saying that as a dig. Cause I, I gotta wonder, you know, you mean to tell me there are two different people with the name Katsabulus in Jackson, Mississippi? Watts knows both of them. He spent time with both of them and their families, and one of them welched and one of them didn't? Or is it the same guy and Watts is using some uh, passive aggressive techniques? Yeah, you're right. Like he's talking in code, I, probably. <laughs> Which is funny in itself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, God. The, the mystery continues. We will continue to try to find out what we can about Katzabulus the Welcher. Paul Orndorff wins via figure four, like we said, and we talked earlier about how he had established his figure four at the same time that North American champion Ted DiBiase had done the same thing. And with that, Mike, we are at the end of this program. And at the end of the show, Bill Watson, Boy Pierce make an announcement about next week's show. And of course, Boyd Pierce has to do some uh, Bill Watts ass-kissing here. Uh, I don't know how much of it he was told to do, how much of it he decided to do, but it's every single time. Let's listen to the ending of the show right now. The tremendous pressure of Ted DiBiase. And Boyd Pierce, thanks again for letting me be your co-host. I understand you have an exciting anchor next week. That's right, Bill. It is exciting. It will be the living stardust, the American dream. Dusty Rhodes will be my guest commentator next week. And also, don't forget the big battle for the North American heavyweight title. Ted DiBiase defending against the former champion, the Masked Grafter. Bill Watts, thank you for your articulate description. We appreciate it. By loads of mail we get. Till next week, Boyd Pierce, your host, saying goodbye, everybody, from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. All right, so they're getting loads of mail about Katsabulas and just how good Bill Watts is on commentary. <laughs> now, Bill Watts is amazing on commentary, but how many right. of the fans in Mid-South are writing letters? I just want to let you know. I love Bill Watts. Bring and you know, actually, right. I shouldn't dismiss that because this was the era when fans did write letters into television stations, and if they had a promotion's address, they would probably write it to the promotion. Who knows? But he certainly is the best at this, Bill Watts. Yeah, yeah. And you know, here's a teaser for next week. Um, Dusty is on next week's episode, as you heard. You know, Boyd Pierce say here and. Dusty wears me out on commentary next week, uh, just for the record. Um, it's uh, y- you'll see exactly what I'm talking about as you rewatch Brian. But it, it, it Dusty is gonna he he's 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 over the top, and you know uh, I, I I think Boyd is onto something here. The the people are writing and they want Watts on commentary, and yeah. for for the record, I'm fine with it. Now I will tell you this. Ernie Ladd on commentary. We've heard a couple of people. Ernie Ladd was good. Yeah. Uh, Ted DiBiase, if you remember, towards the end of 81, maybe early 82. Right. He was all right. He was all right. Nothing great. I mean, uh, but uh, Roop was Watts. Good. Bob Roop was good. 
Yeah, he was he was good in a different way. But see, Watts Watts takes us down these paths, and you know, it's just like the Katsabulis thing, and and just the way he tells the stories as we've talked, and he makes it all make sense. That's the part that you like from Watts. It's not actually the play by play; it's how he ties it in. I mean, because there's obviously been much better play by play commentators. And the thing is, like you said, I mean, Boyd is kissing Watts's butt here, but. You know, once Boyd turns it over to Watts, Boyd says nothing basically for a whole hour. He just sits there and backs off every now and then. He comments, but for the most part, it's all Watts. But you know, uh, well, we will. Let me say this: we'll miss Watts next week, man. We will miss him. It's funny. I don't want to say that as a negative, but Dusty wears me out on commentary next week. I haven't taken my notes, but I I went ahead and rewatched it, and I was like, whoa, it's just too over the top. But we'll have fun, man. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about, and the, and the listeners will be able to enjoy it as well. I know there are fans who today try to reevaluate Dusty's commentating work, especially in WCW, and they'll say, oh, he was so funny, or I remember when he laughed about this during commentary. I have never been a fan of Dusty as a commentator at all. One of the greatest promos of all time, a brilliant wrestling mind. I do not need to hear him as a commentator. To me, it's always overbearing and just not good. Well, the W, let me tell you. If you're compare if you're comparing his WCW stuff to what you're gonna hear next week, it's totally different. Cause in WCW, he wasn't doing play by play. Next week, he's the guest commentator. And you know what that means in Mid-South? That means that person is gonna do a lot of talking. <laughs> More than Dusty would have done in a WCW telecast, usually. So oh man. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna laugh. Let me just say that. We'll laugh. But we'll also be a little worn out by the end from him uh, because it's just it's it's almost over the top. I know what you mean, O'Brien. He has funny sayings. And like, I, look, dude, Dusty's one of the best, you know, he's one of the best talkers ever. I mean, he, as far as, you know, promo guys. Oh, man. I mean, y- y- you got to love it. But we'll see next week when he's a guest commentator how much uh, we'll love to listen to Dusty for a whole hour. <laughs> and then with Watts, it's really the luxury of owning your own company. Because, you know, it's what we saw Vince McMahon do. We've seen other people like Paul Bosch do it. But with Watts, Watts knows every single storyline needs to get over because he was so hands-on with the booking even when he had a booker. Watts was always really the booker, and the the booker was almost like the booking assistant at times. But he's so hands-on, he knows every single thing he needs to really get into the minds of the the listener, the person watching the show. He'll pound certain points home over various matches, but he also just mixes in kind of everyday talk and it makes it conversational and it makes it so that you're you're listening along and you feel like you're getting to know him and he's not overbearing and Bill Watts can be overbearing, you know, behind the scenes, he was overbearing, but he's never really overbearing on commentary. He just, he has points he wants to get across and he also has little personal things like talking about, you know, his son's wrestling or the Louisiana state athletic Commission's son wrestling that he wants to get on the show. But for the most part, he knows how to keep it moving. He knows the direction everything has to go in. Now, I will say this. You know how he talked about the the wrestling, the, his son's wrestling just now in this episode? There's going to come a point where he, he, he's, he goes too far with that. There's like minutes and matches where he's talking about things that are just irrelevant. And he doesn't tie it into – anything that's going on. He starts talking about the, the Oklahoma wrestling team. He, he'll he's done that so far, but he's kind of limited it. It's been a little bit more limited, man. He, he, he's going to, he's going to get carried away. And I can't remember at which points in 82, he does it. Uh, I know when doc comes in, he does it, but it's, uh, 
it, it's a, it's it's not bad right now, but there'll be moments where I know you're gonna rewatch and go, man, he did talk about that for too long. <laughs> uh, so uh, he's been good. It's it's good so far because he doesn't do it for too long. But there there are moments where I've had people actually message me as they're watching back. Uh, I remember last year had a few people were like uh, when they first uploaded uh, the rest of '82 on the network, they were like, man, this is good, but. Watts is talking about all kind of stuff that I'm just not interested in. And I was like, I went back and watched. I was like, yeah, that was one of those times when he just got carried away. So it happens. But for the most part, to circle back to what we we're talking about, he he's the he's the one who you want on commentary right now in Mid South. Well, we'll find out soon enough. And boy, you're really playing spoiler this week. You've talked about all sorts of stuff we're going to be seeing in the weeks and months ahead. But Mike, as we wrap things up this week, I want to let everyone know you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605 Pod. On Facebook, Facebook.com slash Super Podcast is the official online home for the Super Podcast artwork, listener feedback, photo. Photos, videos, and so much more. Facebook.com slash super podcast. For any 605 Super Podcast merchandise, you can go to tinyurl.com slash super pod store and get t-shirts, stickers, magnets, and so much more. Once again, tinyurl.com slash super pod store. If you enjoy this podcast, Please leave us a five-star review and a positive rating on iTunes. It really does help the show out. And, of course, if you want to manually download this show, you could just go to midsouthpod.com. You could also access our RSS feed there. But you probably know all that already. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you? Check us out, Booking the Territory, two days a week on Thursday nights and on Sunday nights. Thursday night is the NWA show, or more of an NWA flavor, WCW flavor, but we talk about other things as well. And then Sunday nights is the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Recaps, a new episode each and every Sunday night. Go to tinyurl.com slash Pod. If you're listening on iTunes, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, wherever else you get or steal your podcast from, just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. And you can find us there. Right, Give us a five-star review after you listen to us. I'm sure you would uh, agree. It's a good show. We have a lot of fun. Uh, lots of uh, colorful and strong language, but uh, it's just three guys sitting around the table and talking about what we love. You can follow me on Twitter at BTT underscore podcast. That's the podcast page. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Mike504Saints. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash booking the territory. We do have merchandise. If you uh, click the shop now button on our Facebook page, that's probably the easiest way to get to it. And uh, it'll take you to our store and uh, pick up a t-shirt or two. But more than anything, listen Listen to the show. Have a good time. Come along with us as we just talk about old wrestling from the 80s and early 90s with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Until next time, tally-ho! Mm-hmm.